This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hello there, everyone out in the galaxy, either watching us live on YouTube right now or listening later on a podcast podcatcher near you. This is episode 40 of From a Certain Point of View. I'm Josh. I'm Adam. And we are back once again. With a, We're very excited about this episode. Not only is this our 40th episode, and 40 seems to be a pretty special number for Star Wars when it comes to anniversaries. Um, yeah. We are the last going, few years, right? Yes, but we are doing our special. We're returning to thank the maker today or, or behind the scenes look at A New Hope, the, the Star Wars film that started it all. Um, but Adam, what have you been up to watching and playing this week? I have I watched A New Hope once through with some um, uh, audio commentary on. Uh, I'll talk about this a little later, but I've been doing some, uh, well... Not really reading, but kind of skimming through the making of Star Wars is a book by J.W. Rinsler. Really good stuff. Uh, so that was uh, that was pretty fun. Uh, last night I watched The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. So nice. not Star Wars, but still within the Lucasfilm realm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that's about it. I've been doing a little gaming, but mostly just retro stuff. You know, <laughs> uh, I will say this: this is Star Wars related. You remember Shadows of the Empire on N sixty four? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I played that fun, a little bit. I have bit. fun memories of that game, yeah. Yeah, go back and try it again. It, it doesn't age that great. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my, my memories might not be... My memories are probably better than the actual experience yeah. itself. Yeah, you know? I, th- I think that happened with this one. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have very fond memories of playing that back in the day, too. And I I, I, uh, I, pl- I played that a little, little bit this week, so... What's the name of the main character in that game? That's uh, Dash Rendar, right? Dash Rendar, yeah, 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 yep, yeah. Who is canon, by the way? Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Interesting. Yeah, he was mentioned in one of the Han Solo books, I think, uh, around Solo. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I heard that. Heard about that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, Dash Rendar still there. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, RFBs and chat. He still has his N64 with shadows. The actual hardware. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I, I had to. Know. Yeah, I had to play it a little. Where mine is at this point. Less than Could legally, be I I may have downloaded a ROM to play it. I cannot there confirm or deny if that happened. No uh, shame in that. No, shame. <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah, so that's what I've been up to. What about you? Well, first of all, I'm just excited that my technology is working today. I got the new mic hooked up. I got a different set of headphones on, and it's actually working. So I'm, I'm feeling happy about that. Um, but I started binge watching the first season of Ozark. Um, I, I'm almost all the way through the first season, and it, it's just I, I love it so far. It's just it's an excellent show. I might have even mentioned that last week. Um, so I'm, I've been continuing to watch that and enjoying that of course i watched a new hope um and i've had the itch to watch the dark knight and the dark knight rises again Mm, um 
so I started the Dark Knight yesterday, and Force of Light did that to you, didn't they? Yes, they they did that to me. Yeah, thanks, man. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's about. I it, actually had know? a little conversation with, about that about Dark Knight Rises with, with a friend of mine, uh, Nathan, mm-hmm. who's been he's been on the show once. It was a while ago. Yeah. He was on the show yeah. once. Um, I think that Dark Knight Rises is a very, very underrated Batman movie, and I think it's only underrated because it followed the Dark Knight, which was an impossible task. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree um, that it's underrated. You know, I, I, I enjoyed that film almost as much as the Dark Knight. I think sometimes because I've been to Pittsburgh so many times, I was like yeah. so excited. In the beginning, I was so excited that they were shooting in Pittsburgh and everything. I was right, like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Right. But now, when I watch it, it pulls me out just a, uh, just a little bit. I can like, see so, that. I can see that. You know, yeah, that's just the seeing only Heinz thing. And, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, it. Just, just kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. But we're actually going to talk about that, that a little bit with the New Hope talk uh, about that. Yes, that type yes. of effect. So that, that that's yes, an interesting, indeed. interesting tie we'll, in. We'll to put later a pin in, in that one then. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and we did have. Once again, a a weekly poll, and open the results of that up. The weekly poll was as we as we had the Emmy nominations that were released this week. The question was, will the Mandalorian win the Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series? Um, we had forty eight percent who felt yes. This was a this was a tight race. It was fifty two percent who said no. Now I, I tend to lead lean towards the no as well, even though I would love for it to win. Um, you know, it, it's got some competition for sure. I mean, Ozark is among the shows that it's competing with, uh, Stranger Things, um, Better Call Saul, which just had its best season, in my opinion, right. of the whole series. Um, you got The Crown in there. Um, trying to think of... Handmaiden's Tale. Else? Handmaiden's Tale. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of competition there. Killing Eve, um, Succession, yeah. So it definitely has some com- competition. I think it would be a, a, a stretch for it to win, but it would be awesome if it did. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll say I'll say to you, uh, to them to everyone listening when I said to you before we started recording, uh, if if John Williams can make a stellar soundtrack for the Rise of Skywalker on his last Star Wars outing ever, and not I'll take a take home an award for that, and then I don't think mm-hmm. there's much hope for the Mandalorian. Uh, sad, yeah. but I, I think that's <clears throat> just the way it is with with Star Wars and in general. So, yeah, I think unfortunately, you know, at least for the most part, like the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies, those types yeah. of movies yeah, often right. get overlooked when it comes to being recognized um, for awards. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. So, Adam, tell. Tell us about what's coming up on today's show. Well, uh, we got some news, and uh, then I, I'm worried this show might be a little bit of a longer one because we're talking, uh, like you said, we're, we're going back to thank the maker this week. We took a little break last week, but going to the original trilogy, and we're going to talk about A New Hope, and there is a lot to talk about <laughs> uh, with A New Hope. It, mm-hmm. it, it went through some stuff before it got to theaters in 1977, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, it's going to be a fun one, uh, but it might be a little bit long. So buckle up. We'll just Hang in there with and, us. <laughs> we'll just go ahead and, and get the news going right now. So you might want to buckle up, baby. Well? 
You want the bad news or the really bad news? Kicking off the news this week, we have a we've been having a lot of rumors about Solo possibly getting a a sequel in the form of a Disney Plus series. Um, some of the initial rumors with that there would be like separate shows, maybe like a Crimson Dawn show featuring you know Maul and, and Kira, uh, maybe a Lando series. Um, but there was an additional rumor here that showed up on Star Wars Newsnet. According to the website Star Wars Unity, which I've never heard of personally, um, so again, just take everything with a grain of salt, um, was that in the year, um, here we go, the, the solo, plans for a solo crime syndicate spinoffs have been shifted into more of a full-fledged continuation to solo a Star Wars story and what sounds like a pseudo-solo-verse, say that three times fast, um, with Alden Ehrenreich returning to play Han Solo. <laughs> Um, and, it would, and it would set up the rumored Lando series and, and beyond. Um, so this is a rumor that I actually hope is true, because, again, I, we, we spoke last week about how I would like the sequel to Solo to be a continuation um, in a Disney Plus series that includes like the ensemble, you know, all of the characters and everything. Um, so, again, just a rumor. But any thoughts on this one? I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I would yeah. love to see it happen. Um, I, I, I think I don't know. I don't know. Just it feels rumorish to me, you know. After the Donald, it Glover feels rumorish. Stuff, and, yeah, yeah, I agree. But it feels right at the same time. <laughs> like, like I, I just think again. I, I will echo what I've said before that it would make so much yeah. sense for there to be a sequel to Solo and to, for there to be a Disney Plus series. And I, I would love to see all the characters back and maybe they spin off into other shows eventually, but I'd love to see a continuation of, of where that film left off. Yeah. So I hope this is true, but we'll, we'll see. Like I can get on board with that. Yeah. Um, next up in more TV news. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier that the Mandalorian um, has been nominated for several Emmys uh, this year, 15 nominations actually. Um, ranging um, from costuming to editing to voice work, including outstanding guest actor for Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon and for the show itself, an outstanding drama series. Um, Ludwig Gorenson also was nominated for outstanding music composition. composition. And um, Taika Watiti was nominated for his voice acting as IG-11 in the final episode of the series. Um, there's a full list of nominations on StarWarsNewsNet.com. So, Adam, I know you're not huge into the award shows and you right, know right. and and all that stuff, but I got to say this is exciting news for The Mandalorian to be at least nominated in for 15 different categories. Um, it just shows the you know, just what went into the making of this show and, and that it's being recognized and it's such a high quality show. What are your yeah. thoughts? Uh, kind of, I think along the same lines as you, it just kind of shows how much of an impact it had because it had a huge impact uh, launching a, a brand new streaming service. Uh, so you said that, that's a big thing. And, uh, you know, it's nice to get the recognition, I guess, from the rest of the industry. Uh, for for the show, I think it's going to win a couple of those. You know, I'd like to see yeah. uh, uh, Ludwig win. Um, mm -hmm. 
I'd like to see Giancarlo Esposito win, but I mean, it was only really in two episodes. Right. I don't know. I don't yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that yeah, I, a, I a think the actual, that... I think the actual category he was nominated was like kind of like a special appearance almost it was you know not like a yeah okay not like lead actor supporting actor even but like something like oh, okay. along those lines gotcha yeah so yeah I, I think it'll win a couple of those uh i wanted to mention something though that's not related to that at all but uh taika watiti i started watching um what we do in the shadows mm, mm-hmm. that's a wacky show that, <laughs> that, is, that is crazy but i was laughing yeah it's a very yeah his sense of humor is very different and i'm Mm-hmm. makes me interested to see what else he wants to do in star wars because it was it was it, you should watch a, well, a little bit of it it's interesting man <laughs> before it's, i even knew who taiko atiti was you know korg in thor ragnarok oh yeah thor right. ragnarok mm-hmm. oh my goodness i was laughing out loud watching that movie and then i realized that he did the, the voice for him later on you know yeah um just cracked me up yeah, uh, what we do in the shadows is very, very, <laughs> very different. But man, it, yeah. uh, it it has some funny, funny stuff. You should check it out. You'd probably appreciate some of the humor. Mm-hmm. Um, very uh, not kid friendly, by the way. Anyone listening, don't watch it with kids. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that gave that warning last week about Ozark yeah. not yeah. not being for kids. But yeah. Um, Moving on to our next news, and this is in the world of of games. Um, This comes straight from StarWars.com. We got some casting and details revealed about Tales from the Galaxy's Edge. Um, So as far as casting goes, um, Bobby Moynihan, who appeared in Star Wars Resistance, he did did voice work for, for that show. I forget which character it was, but he will star as Cecil Slack, Cecil Slack, I think, a bartender with a penchant for storytelling who is central to the story. And we're also getting Deborah Wilson, who lent her voice to Jedi Fallen Order, um, and she portrayed the character of Seer, I believe it was. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And she's joining the cast yeah, as Seer. Seer, yeah. And she's and joining Bobby the cast as... Uh, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Finish. Um, she's joining the cast as Tara Rash, Rash, Rashin or Rashin or something like that, is, who is a Quarren pirate who leads a cell of the Guavian Death Gang, the Guavian Death Gang who operates yeah. on Batu. Uh, Bobby Moynihan, by the way, is Orko. And... Thank you for that. And um, in Tales from Galaxy's Edge, you, will, you play a droid repair technician who crash lands on Batu after a pirate attack. So just there's also a featurette. Um, that was released on YouTube and on the Star Wars website. Um, it was actually, you know, four to five minutes long. And give, gives a, a nice look at this upcoming game from ILMX Labs. Yeah, so yeah, it looks, the, yeah, yeah, it looks very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only going to cost me a few hundred dollars to play it, so that's cool. <laughs> right, because you got to get the, <laughs> the Oculus or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So pretty cool. Um, I think one of the main things they they wanted to do was replicate the feel of Galaxy's Edge, you know, being on Batu and everything, the look and the feel of that planet. So that would be that'll be pretty cool to explore. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> and up next uh, in gaming news, we have a possible leaked image of the title screen 
for Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. I feel like I've been hearing about this game forever, um, and, <laughs> but it's finally going to be coming out in October, I believe. Um, let me let me check that. Yeah, yeah, October sounds right. Yeah, October. Um, so one of the images that is attached to this article on Star Wars Newsnet actually shows Rey with her yellow lightsaber. I don't know if we'll, we'll see that in the game at some point. I think that'd be really cool. Um, but, you know, there's some leaked images on there. And some. there were also some quotes um, released from some of the makers of the game um, suggesting that something's coming soon. Like, I, I felt a great disturbance. Um, feel, don't think, use your instincts. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. These these were just, like, kind of cryptic tweets that were sent out by Tim Spencer. Um, mm, right. So, you know, we could maybe be getting news. But the release is October 20th, 2020 for the, the Skywalker Saga Lego Star Wars. So, Adam, will you be plan- will you be picking this one up? Probably not. I haven't okay. played a Lego game. I, I have played Lego Star Wars games a while mm-hmm. ago, and they're fun. Uh, but I haven't yeah. played a Lego Star Wars game in years. So, um, yeah, I I'm kind of excited about this. I think I might actually get this one because I do love games where kids. you, yeah, you know, and play with Sydney. Play with and, her, yeah, play with your daughter. I could play with Grace. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, and like. I, I love games where you actually go through and play out what happened in the movies. Like I, I miss those okay. kind of video games, like going through the saga and playing on all the, in all those different scenarios than, you know, action set pieces from the films. I, I'm very interested in that type of, of game, even though it's Lego. So yeah, I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Lego games. They're, they're, they're no. really well made. They're usually, yeah, they're funny. Well done. you know, they're got some good sense of humor. Like I said before, great to play with family if you're out there with kids mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So, for sure. Um, in the as far as like conventions go, um, we have, um, from farthest from actually, um, have gathered together Star Wars creatives, fans, and special guests to create Empire Forty. Speaking of forty-year anniversaries. <laughs> Um, yep. which is a special nine hour live stream event celebrating the Empire Strikes Back. That's going to take place tomorrow, um, starting 9 a.m. Eastern. And they're actually, it's split up into three different segments, basically. Um, and so you have Hoth, Dagobah, and then Bespin, um, and content surrounding those three locations from, from the film. So it might be something worth checking out. Yeah, kind of cool seeing um, you know, fan-centered conventions popping up. We talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about uh, our, our friends uh, Scarif, uh, Scuttlebutt did Scarif Gone. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we have um, Force Fest comes up later this month. And then now this, that's actually tomorrow. Uh Mm-hmm. on recording day here august 2nd and then uh, the day that the podcast comes out will have been <laughs> um yeah. that day uh so, but it's really cool seeing you know fans kind of pick up the slack here and you know, do some fun things in place of celebration yeah for sure i mean they've, they've kind of taken it upon themselves to <clears throat> step up and do these things which i think is great um and i'm seeing in the chat that 
you know, we're, we're going to be getting, <laughs> I'm not sure if any of these are serious, but <laughs> uh, we got a droid series coming to Disney plus. We got I could a see Bolio that one. series. I could see the droid one Bolio. I don't, <laughs> it'll, it'll be headed there soon. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah. Dad joke. Cause he was beheaded. Yeah. That would be cam making a dad joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um our final news article is in the category of books and we got a tweet from delray at delray star wars star wars books saying that the mandalorian novel will be moving to fall 2021 it was supposed to be this december i believe um but that's been pushed back it seems like you know a a lot of our the novels here are being bumped back which yeah i think makes sense given our our current situation yeah, so kind of odd to announce that one, you know, just a few short weeks ago. And, yeah, and, and then say, and well, now, we, oh, you know what? <laughs> actually, it's going to be a year yeah. later. <laughs> Give us another year on that one. Yeah. But, uh, so I mean, it's it's, it's cool unfortunate, still but getting. I'm still excited for it. I guess it'll coincide nicely with season three of Mandalorian. But um, yeah, that's what I was just, thinking. Just, I was... just really weird timing with announcing mm-hmm. that and then delaying it a few weeks later. Yeah, that was interesting, but yeah, but that that wraps it up for our news this week. Um, And I think we're about ready to thank the maker once again. Thank the maker. This oil bath is going to feel so good. So like I said at the top of the show, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with this one. And I just want to remind everyone out there that this there. We could talk for four hours about A New Hope, and I don't think we'd cover everything. Uh, so yep. we're going to kind of go through and give, you know, kind of our favorite little factoids, tidbits of knowledge about A New Hope. Uh, I used a couple sources here. I'm pretty sure you probably used the same audio commentary as me, but uh, I listened to a audio commentary with George Lucas, Carrie Fisher, Ben Burt, and Dennis Muren. I also I checked out to the one that was with the, the cast uh, and crew. The full cast and crew okay, archival cool. commentary. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, I also checked out, and I'm going to recommend this book to anyone who hasn't checked it out yet, uh, but uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, it's called Making of Star Wars by J.W. Rinsler. I actually went ahead and got this on um, ebook uh, format, uh, mainly because, A, it was like 40 bucks cheaper. Um mm-hmm. And B, because it actually comes with some pretty cool uh, extra content, uh, being audio clips of interviews, video clips, uh, some pretty cool stuff there. So it's only That's like, cool. tw- yeah, it's only like twelve ninety nine uh, for an audio book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual larger, almost like coffee table style size book is a little bit more. I was seeing it for like 50 or $60 brand new. Yeah, that's quite um, a difference. But really great, like behind the scenes pictures, uh, pictures of you know, like scanned copies of notes and scripts. Mm-hmm. And one of the cool things they do is is the book progresses, is they kind of show you the progression of the story itself. Um, in that you know, stories. You know, we we talked a, a few weeks ago. I forget what show number that was about. Um, about the Star Wars, uh, the comic series mm-hmm. that came out. So they kind of, kind of give you, they kind of give you a rundown of, um, you know, these are the main plot points at this point in time, and then as things progress, they change, and you can see where uh, the final elements come into play. 
Right. So it, definitely, if you guys, if you're out there listening and you become interested in what happened behind the scenes of A New Hope, I would strongly recommend checking out The Making of Star Wars by J.W. Rinsler. But anyway, uh, getting into the casting of A New Hope, uh, I remember when we talked about um, The Phantom Menace and how many kids they interviewed for the role of Anakin. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like almost the same thing happened with the new hope here uh, where casting sessions, you know, sometimes they would go through 250 people a day uh, just to go through that many people blows my mind. Um, yeah. That's just crazy to me. I wouldn't have it. I mean, I get overwhelmed easily, so I wouldn't, I'd be like, I don't know who to pick. <laughs> There's just too yeah, many. <laughs> right. Um, one th- one thing that I thought was funny is you know we t- we talked before about how George Lucas talking can just kind of be in- an an interesting experience. Very knowledgeable guy, but I think he can kind of mm-hmm. get himself lost sometimes. Some of the young sure. actors that came through uh, just really got confused with his line of questioning <laughs> through these <laughs> interviews. Um, you know where the, the paraphrase on some of these, they would come in and sit down and say, "Okay, well, what do you want to talk about?" And oh. I don't know uh, what's going on with you type of thing. And they would walk out and like, uh, I think it was Mark Hamill would come out and say like, he had no idea what just happened there. You know? Right. <laughs> um, but Lucas actually wanted to cast a lot of unknowns. And this is one of mm-hmm. the things that we had mentioned earlier uh, where he wanted to keep the fantasy of this movie intact and not have people reminded of other movies that big stars would have been in. So like we talked about with the yeah. dark Knight rises, the dark Knight rises, Josh yeah. and I being from Pittsburgh, uh, you know, we immediately recognize like Heinz Ward and Ben Roethlisberger and seeing those faces mm-hmm. kind of takes us out of, you know, this is a Gotham city story. Right. Uh, so that was one of the things that George wanted to avoid with this movie. And one of the reasons why he tried to, tried to stay with some more unknown, uh, unknown actors at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that was very wise on his part. I mean, yeah. because I, I, you know, I, I think it really does lend itself to, to feeling more immersed in, in the, in the, the universe that he created and everything, the galaxy that he created to, to have these actors that weren't as familiar at the time. Um, when when it was released yeah uh so for princess leia he was re- really looking for someone who was uh, like a strong character ruler of people you know she's a princess um so you know carrie we, we know carrie now but you know carrie mm-hmm. that strong worldly she was short of herself just made that character work luke he was uh, he was wanting someone more innocent uh and then someone he could kind of keep out of the mainstream of things uh, happening in the galaxy so you kind of see him being on a farm somewhere else uh alec guinness was uh, i I like seeing interviews with alec guinness Uh, he's not really like a harrison ford type thing the type uh disinterested in it but you know (laughs) i think he got tired of it later after Mm -hmm. after doing it However, he was pretty excited to get a Lucas script. He said he admired his work on American Graffiti. And I'll tell you, reading, um, real quick aside about American Graffiti, reading The Making of Star Wars, so much of this movie hinged on the success of American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie is mentioned so many times. And you yeah. know, if that movie hadn't done well, uh, I don't know if we'd be talking about this stuff, you know? Right. Um, but American Graffiti uh, kind of caught Alec Guinness's attention. Um, 
He said, though, he was less enthusiastic when he learned that start that this next Lucas movie would be uh, a sci-fi movie. Uh, but mm-hmm. after he's after he read it, he became invested in it. He started seeing touches of Tolkien, which is inter- interesting for me, being a huge Tolkien yeah. fan. Um, and then Anthony Daniels actually was kind of similar in that he was not excited at all to play a robot. <laughs> um, but then you know, a lot of people say this after meeting with George, you know, he just kind of took to George and, you know, liked him and then kind of wanted to work for him. So. Yeah. And I think he had this vision, you know, of, and mm-hmm. once he explained it to you, they, they, it seems like they were kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, now I get this character. I get what we're doing here. And they were on board. I, I will say that any scene in a new hope that Alec Guinness is in is, I just love you know, I think he just brings something to that film. Um, he just brings extra, an extra element, a special element to it. And, um, you know, I, I just, and, and also I love the boldness of Leia. You know, I, I, since I was a kid watching it for the first time, I always loved how bold she is. And, you know, just like how she bosses the, the guys around, you know, get this walking carpet out of my way. <laughs> She's just <laughs> this great, strong female character that I, I always had an appreciation for. And, um, you know, I, just great casting. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, she talked a little bit in the audio commentary about the age difference between Harrison and Mark, you know, Harrison was 33 when this started, had kids. Mark was a lot younger. So there wasn't a whole lot of mingling in between them. Which was kind of interesting because, um, you know, I think they got got a little bit tighter as the years went on. Uh, but there was definitely, you definitely saw a, camar- a camaraderie building there, I think. But uh, kind of an interesting separation in age. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harrison Ford uh, talked about two qualities he noticed in Star Wars, a familiar coming of age adventure story, and then the unique visuals. Uh, so why don't you mention that? Yeah, I I picked up on that one when I was watching. And, you know, I I think the the great thing about Star Wars is that underlying mythology and the the hero's journey and the coming of age story. I'm really interested in in that having that base um, in in a film like this and, and starting from that point. And but then you have this it's not your typical hero's journey. It's not your typical coming of age story. It's not your typical myth you're you're putting it into this um unique world um where you know aliens exist and you're in you're in space and it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and there's so much uniqueness to it that it makes that old way of storytelling fresh um so i think any star wars film in the future that models that and has that base in that coming of age hero's journey I think it, it it can always be successful if, if you're grounded in in where George was grounded, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Uh, and then Peter Mayhew, uh, and I think you wrote this also uh, for a note, but uh, he made the Chewbacca sounds on set, but his voice was never actually used in the final cut. Uh, I actually remember Anthony Daniels was kind of the same, uh, where mm-hmm. uh, they weren't even going to use Anthony Daniels' voice. and then you know the, he just was so good at, at projecting that 3PO um, characterization, I guess, or you know, however he ended up doing it. 
Um, but yeah. they actually ended up just having him do the voiceovers. But same with Chewbacca, where you know, um, there's so much of that noise on set just shows up in, in the in the audio reels, and uh, mm-hmm. they they mentioned that a lot of times they would just have to throw that all out and voice over the whole thing. So. Right. Yeah, I just found that interesting. It was something that I didn't really think about or realize, and then I w- wondered too if the same was true with Jonas and everything. You know, because I know he makes. The sounds he does a pretty good job of sounding like Chewy, so it makes me wonder if, if if it was all done later as well. With, with you know, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I thought this was an interesting quote. Uh, George Lucas said he wanted to make the ultimate kids movie. Uh, and you know we're sitting here. I'm 35. I'm talking about this movie. Um. Yeah. He he did say later that he was kind of looking for a, a movie in the age of, you know, for the twelve to twenty year old range, mm-hmm. uh, because there wasn't a whole lot back then yeah. uh, for that in this uh, genre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ultimate yeah. kids movie. I always find it interesting when he when he says that, um, because part of me totally agrees, and yeah, like when I was ten years old to twelve years old in that gap in that period of time. I was watching these movies and I fell in love with them, you know, so it's very true. But I think also as an adult, because again, it's grounded in that, the mythology, the, the hero's journey, the coming of age, becoming a man, um, you know, having that mentor and then, the, and then the mentor passes on. And, and so then the person who is, you know, being taught then has to become kind of the leader. Um, and, and we see that, in Lord of the Rings as well, you know, bringing, bringing up Tolkien again with Gandalf and Frodo and, and their relationship it reminds me of Obi-Wan and Luke. Um, and so I think anytime you have a story grounded like that, you know, it can be appealing to most ages, you know what I mean? Um, so adults and kids alike. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I always, this next comment, I've always felt this about A New Hope, and it was interesting to see this may be why I feel this about A New Hope. Um, but the early drafts of this movie started with this actually being two movies, uh, one ending after the Death Star escape, and then the other ending with the destruction of the space station itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt that way about A New Hope, how it feels like after the death star escape, escape the death star that's feels like the, the movie's over and then, <laughs> you know but then there's yeah, this right. added piece and, to it yeah know? and then but then we start mm-hmm. with you know blowing up the death star um i've always felt that that was like two different stories you know mm-hmm. and uh it's interesting to see that that might be where it comes from that the part of that part of those early early drafts and early scripts shining through still right that makes sense um you know a New Hope went through a ton of stuff behind the scenes uh, or in the early days. A lot of that had to do with budgets uh, from Fox. Uh, production was actually put on hold late in 1975 until budget cuts were made. Uh, George had already put, at this point, $400,000 of his own money uh, into this movie. And he actually had said a few times he really wasn't expecting it to make a lot of money. You know, he was thinking... Mm-hmm. I think he said somewhere within the like 16 to 25 um, uh, million range. Uh, and they were trying to shoot for a budget. Fox wanted them down around like 7 million uh, yeah. for a budget. 
Uh, and then, you know, he says once you add in things like advertising and all the other stuff on top of that, then you don't really don't make much back. So he wasn't really expecting to make a lot of money on this, and he's putting that much into it of his own money. <laughs> um, yeah, I think George mentioned the expectation at that time was to basically break even, but then make money off of, like, selling it to TV stations and stuff like that, you know. Right, right. Um, due to these budget cuts, there were some interesting things removed. Uh, Alderaan was in the movie at one point, uh, and it was taken out. A lot of those scenes that happened on Alderaan in earlier versions were then moved to the Death Star. Uh, the rebels were kind of supposed to be outside in the jungles on Yavin, which I thought was kind of cool because we see that again in Rise of Skywalker. It's almost like that idea came back a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they moved them inside into the hangars on, on Yavin, uh, just kind of a way to make it a little cheaper to, to shoot a little, little, little better on the budget. Yeah. And then finally with the prequels and revenge of the Sith, he got to put Alderaan in there actually. So yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Came, came full circle. Yeah. Uh, we talked a long time ago about Utapau, uh, how, how, mm-hmm. how often Being he used that name. That was, yeah. Yeah, and then he finally got to do it. So it, it it seems like the prequels were kind of his chance to do everything that he didn't want to do, you know? <laughs> right, and I know that well, you not know, didn't sometimes... He didn't have the means to do back then. Sure. And I know sometimes George Lucas gets criticized for even going back into the original trilogy and, and fixing things and remastering things and putting other things in. But, you know, I remember in the commentary him kind of saying, I, I don't know an artist that if they can still go back and, and perfect their work um wouldn't do that you know what i mean um so and i think it, it, as long as it's george lucas who's going back and, and making those changes to get it to the place where he intended it to go i think that makes sense yeah definitely uh george wanted to use these mythological motifs that he that he says he wanted to create something new but then he also wanted this to be kind of a Saturday Saturday morning serial, and so he, he talked a lot about remembering going to the to the theater, uh, you know, and seeing these Saturday morning uh, series. Kind of, kind of, he, mm-hmm. he equated it to kind of like modern TV, where you have the you know the weekly story type thing. Um, but he, so he used that as kind of his vessel to tie all this stuff together. Um, mm-hmm very which i found very interesting um and then the the look of the film actually and you've talked about this a lot i don't know about on the show yeah. but with me yeah um the look of the film being lived in it's not pristine r2's beat up you know all that has a purpose uh mm-hmm. it doesn't look like other sci-fi of its time you know yeah and that's what i, I love about this because yeah it separates itself from other science fiction films um in that it's in that it is very lived in and, and things are kind of dirty and, and worn and it makes it feel real it makes it feel gritty and I, I i really like that about it um you know which is why i've always kind of preferred the original trilogy over the prequels for that main reason um just because everything feels and looks so real you know, and and I think it makes it more timeless in a way. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Uh, Lucas was amused by using the uh, the two. It was all, it's also interesting how this happened. So um, we'll talk about this a good bit. Uh, but he was amused by using the 
the two least interesting characters in 3PO and R2 to tell the first part of the story. Uh, he said that that was inspired by uh, Kurosawa, uh, which is one yeah. of the filmmakers that he was you know, inspired by at that time. Uh, but reading uh, the making of Star Wars, it's interesting how that idea kind of came came about because initially Luke's story was kind of intercut in between all of the Leia mm-hmm. stuff, and uh, again, due to budget cuts, some a lot of that had to be taken out. Um, so, you know, that didn't actually happen with uh, R two and three PO telling this part of the story until they had to take those things out, and and it, it, when that happened. Um, the story as it stood it, that way was actually more told from their perspective. So I think that was something that kind of happened. It wasn't intentional. And, uh, you know, then he saw how that worked and how much he liked it at that point. But, but yeah. Um, yeah it's, and it's and really I never really thought about that either, about how that first part of the story is told from their perspective, you know, not so much right. anyone else's. So. Yeah, I mean, we don't see our main character, Luke, until almost maybe 20 minutes into the film or something to that effect. Um, so, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. So, production issues. Let's talk about some of these now. You know, we talked about budget cuts. Tunisia was plagued with issues. Uh, he, George said he only got about half of what he needed after 10 days of shooting there. Uh, so, you know, they'd have to come back and, and do... Uh, some other shooting, but then also they would do shooting in uh, Death Valley, you know, the, the United States deserts, and uh, to make mm-hmm. up for what they couldn't get in Tunisia. Um, but then there was plenty of other production issues as well outside of Tunisia. George, uh, for, for example, was unhappy with the lighting on a lot of scenes from ILM. Uh, they had to repaint some of the setting, uh, some of the sets, uh, specifically the hallway scene. They had to try some different colors of gray to get the right lighting. Um, you know, the film was really late. It was over budget. There was a lot of problems with this movie. And uh, sometimes it's surprise, a little surprising that Fox didn't just pull the plug on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I want to mention that specifically just because of things that get said around the Internet these days about movies. I mean, production issues, especially on movies like this, are not uncommon. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a, a work in progress. You're trying to, to get to that finish line and problems come up and um, you have to address them and carry on and, <laughs> and everything. And I think it's a part of the process, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I think George even, I don't know if he said this in the commentary, but it was alluded to that. He was kind of just like, you know, Hey, do what you can on the day and then if we have to figure it out later we'll figure it out later like that that type of thinking basically knowing that that those kind of things would arise right uh moving on to the soundtrack uh, let's talk about john williams a little bit um john williams uh said that uh, yeah george wanted this more symphonic sound uh, and then John said that, you know, after he had watched his uh, his screening uh, of the unfinished version at the beginning, um, that he could really see why that type of soundtrack fit more than, uh, the you know, the kind of the techno-electronic sounds uh, of science fiction, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, were kind of common, more common. Um, so... 
I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think with, with with like the fantasy elements of the story that it definitely fits yes. more of a soundtrack like that. So, because I was thinking that exact same thing because this is more science fantasy than than science fiction. I think it lends itself to the types of sounds that we end up getting. I think it would have been really cheesy, you know, if we were watching Star Wars today and it had all those kind of space sounds of the seventies and all those kind of elect electronic sounds and stuff of the time yeah, of the right. time you know i think what john williams brings to it just elevates it that much more so i'm really happy with with that decision yeah definitely so we, we talked a little bit about john williams having an initial screening uh, uh the book had that i read had uh, making of star wars mentions a few different screenings uh, one to Lucas's uh, family and friends and got a little bit of mixed results there. Uh, Steven Spielberg, for example, was very enthusiastic, mm-hmm. uh, said that he, you know, he, he loved it. He was totally on board. Uh, Brian De Palma uh, was pretty much the opposite. And, uh, you know, George said that Brian was kind of that way. And uh, he was kind of caustic was the word that George used. Um, mm-hmm. But even with uh, the, you know, kind of, kind of negative opinions of of De Palma. His contributions actually led to a change in the opening crawl, uh, because the original opening crawl kind of focused on what happened, you know, like hundreds of years ago, and mm-hmm. the, what De Palma had stressed and what ended up happening was that it covers more of what leads into the movie directly. You know, what happened in the more right. recent past, uh, almost mm-hmm. immediate past, and not focusing so much on the mythology from way back when. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan Ladd uh, also, you know, he he also uh, always gets mentioned as the one that greenlit Star Wars, you know, and was very into it. Um, Alan Ladd seemed to be a little bit nervous after seeing it for the first time. And, uh, you know, where a couple of Fox executives were very much on board at that point. Uh, I remember, I forget which one it was, but, um, there's mentions of one being moved to tears at, because he loved it so much. Um, Alan Ladd was a little nervous, and he said that you know after after that screening was done, um, Ladd came over to George and just said, hey, "George did a did, did a really good job," and just kind of left, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, even actually <clears throat> called Spielberg after after um, Steven Spielberg got a chance to see it just to kind of get his impression on it, almost like he's trying to ease his fears about this you know yeah like what do you think about that <laughs> <laughs> right um lucas uh also this is one of the things that makes the story a little bit different uh but lucas assumes that everyone in the story knows about the things that happen in the universe you know like the oil baths where people keep their speeders how things work you know in that universe um George said when it came out, he felt that the, that was a lot to take in for a viewer. Uh, but now everyone just kind of accepts that, and then they get more involved in the story than how things actually work. Um, right. You know, he, he threw the audience into an alien world without explaining a whole lot, and and that worked. You know, um, less yeah. time, less I, exposition, less less explaining, and more jumping into the story. I love the approach. I think, you know, ex- explaining too much, having too much exposition, you know, and and we know how people react to that nowadays. That, oh, you didn't explain this. You didn't explain yeah, this. Yeah, right, back, right, back right. Story. You didn't explain. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. People yeah. react differently today to that. But I think 
at the time, this was an excellent approach because you just jump right into the action. You know, you don't, you I let still the think it's an excellent kind of approach. I don't figure, think that's it still changed, is. You know? I agree. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and even like back working on the force awakens when JJ and Lawrence Kasdan were, were writing the script for the force awakens, I think Lawrence Kasdan had to tell JJ, like, we don't need to explain this. Like we, we don't need to, to spell this out for the audience, you know, right. Um, we can, we can, they'll figure it out. You know, we, we don't want to put that much exposition and, and everything into it. So I, I think that was, you know, Lawrence Kasdan kind of learned that working on the original trilogy and, contributed in that way too yeah and then kind of kind of the same this is i think one that didn't get worked out but as far as the parsecs things go being a, a yeah. measure of distance and not time distance and not speed or time yeah yeah or speed yeah uh, george mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit and he he said that it, the falcon is fast not because it has speed uh, but because its navigation system is good enough for in getting it from point A to point B that it cuts out the distance and, you know, mm-hmm. gives it that time, right? Yeah. So, and we kind of saw that in Solo. I was going to say, it's a great connection to Solo with, is it L3? Yeah. Who, who is now yeah. part of the navigation system. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But even even, you know, Doing the Kessel Run there, you you saw how you know they kind of figured out how they're gonna how they're gonna cut out that that distance, you know, uh, to to make it in the uh, twelve parsecs. I'm blanking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, twelve. So I thought it was cool to get that. You know, that's one of those little explanations that that, that was really a reach <laughs> for people to understand. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, yeah. So it didn't. Maybe it didn't work in every instance, but you know that's kind of a tough one to. It's kind of a tough one to infer, I think. Um, yeah. But if if you ever get hung up on the d- distance, not time thing, there's George's explanation. Yes, there it is. Navigation system. Fun fact. The lightsaber fight, Obi Wan and Vader, mm-hmm. one of the most tame lightsaber fights that we ever got. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, th- I think I don't know who it was exactly, but in the commentary he was saying how if there's one thing he would have liked to have gone back and and reshot, it would have been that that duel. Um, yeah. Just because I guess what they were using um, for the sword fight it, it kept breaking, so when they would, and I get you know I guess David Prowse obviously had more physicality than Alec Guinness, um, and so you know that was an issue too. Yeah. And uh George talked about it again, uh kind of explaining it. Uh he he explains this as being a very hard fight for both Vader and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's older at this point. Vader is now more machine, so a little more I guess clunky is what he was going mm-hmm. for. Uh which works until you know, you get these more recent things with Vader where he's so so dominating you know right uh which almost kind of juxtaposes that version of vader with what happens in four and it just maybe doesn't sit right i guess yeah. um but you know like you said maybe he was just taking stuff, it easy on taking it easy on the, on old, the old man guy. you know taking it easy on his uh former master that's and very considerate of darth you know, he, vader he didn't he didn't break out like the full 
100 mile an hour fastball. He just scaled it down to like 95. Yeah, maybe that's where his light side is still shining through. There's good in him. (laughs) Right. I don't know. Um, So getting to the technology, there's some cool technology stuff for, uh, for, you know, mid-1970s going on here. Uh, One of the things that came out of this is the uh, Dykstra Flex camera, uh, which is considered one of the first uh, motion-controlled photography camera systems. It's named after John Dykstra, uh, who did you know a lot of work on the visual effects uh, shots in, in Star Wars. Uh, you know, mainly what this camera did, and I, I thought it's interesting that um, Dykstra himself kind of mentioned that this wasn't really the first version of this camera that was ever made, but I guess mm-hmm. it kind of gets credited uh, as being that. Uh, they could program this this camera to repeat uh, its action exactly, uh, which solved a lot of issues with special effects. Um, and so one of those kind of inventions out of necessity, I guess, you know, uh, solving that type of problem for for the special effects team. Um, did they did they use this camera for the the trench run, or was that a different? I believe so. Yeah, I believe that's okay. the camera. Yeah. No. Not 100% on that, but... I'm not 100% either, but I do believe mm-hmm. that it was involved in that, yeah. Um, yeah, but... Uh, it basically, it, uh, it... Like I said, it was all digitally controlled. It allowed for seven axes of motions to roll, pan, tilt, swing, boom, traverse, track, uh, lens focus, motor drive, shutter control. And uh, then, like I said before, it could duplicate that in multiple takes. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sound design, Lucas wanted as many new sounds as possible, which means Ben Burt spent a lot of time, uh, a year, collecting and recording various sounds. Uh, for instance, the voice always, of... Go ahead. Sorry, I just always find oh, it good. very fast, the sound editing and sound mixing. Yeah, I always yeah. find that stuff really yeah. interesting, how they, how they go out and just how they record sounds. And you wouldn't even think, when you hear in the movie you wouldn't even think that that's what it is. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And, and, you know, speaking of that, the, uh, the voice of R2 ends up being Bert's own voice combined, uh, with the sensor, the, the uh, synthesizer, uh, for the, the mm-hmm. electronic elements of it. Because, you know, they really wanted R2 to have that kind of character, not just beeps and, and, and things like that, but they wanted it to have more human type character, you know? Um, but, it, but, it, you know, that's an issue with, uh, something that you know, there wasn't really a pres- uh, precedent for that at the time. It's a character that speaks and, and you know, beeps and, and things like that, but doesn't have a mouth. Uh, so right. it's kind of hard to, to figure that out. Um, mm-hmm. Lucas mentioned at one point that he wanted to almost sound like a baby learning to talk, you know, with cooing and things mm-hmm. like that. So that was kind of the key to figuring out what R2 would sound like. Um, yeah. yeah, I think of uh, uh, the more you watch and listen to art too the more the more you understand which sounds mean he's like scared or which sounds mean he's happy or you know um those types of, and then you pick up on that eventually which is yep. which is neat uh the death star plans were actually uh, in the in the scene uh where we're getting ready to attack the the death star those death star plans that they're showing on screen are actually com- computer animated uh one mm-hmm. of the first uses of computer animation in in, in a film like that uh, and then Martin Scorsese, who also saw some unfinished parts of this prior to its release, 
so that he was his first reaction was that he this was tapping into you know an extraordinary revolutionary in technology particularly in video games uh which is interesting hmm. because pong i guess had come out you know just a few years before that i think 1972 um yeah. you know it kind of reminded me of the of that you know computer animated death star and then tying this into today uh we go back to mandalorian yeah because uh, it was like the mandalorian it was kind of the opposite where the mandalorian that used video game technology and incorporated yeah. it into into television so yeah uh, yeah exactly interesting. uh mm-hmm. So, you know, again, another example of just coming full circle on some mm-hmm. of the stuff, you know, video game yeah. technology kind of influencing or being a major part of Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, I found this very interesting, but the, the uh, X-Wing pilots, uh, the sound of their uh, um, radios talking back and forth, they actually used short wave uh, radios for that. Uh, they transmitted the pilot voices through radio to get that realistic radio sound. Um, mm. And then they, they, you know, kind of how you get farther away with the radio and you get the interference and, and how it sounds uh, to Leia in the base. Um, that's yeah. how they kind of made that stuff happen is using a shortwave radio to kind of get that, that realistic radio sound. It's so. really interesting. It, it, yeah. And it's cool. It, it was, I was watching that again to hear, to hear that and to you know think of that coming through a radio instead of yeah so right cool stuff yeah uh anything else to add for a new hope um i I just think you know for, for whatever reason a new hope isn't among my very favorite yeah star wars films but some, some think- of it doesn't age great i think Right. But I think over the years and especially recently, I've gained a new appreciation for it, especially going back and listening yeah. to this commentary and, and and just the process behind all of it, the thought behind all of it, the passion behind all of it. And and, and seeing even seeing the Mandalorian, I think, has given me more of an appreciation for this particular film um, and everything. So, you know, it's it's definitely growing on me more and more when I see it. Yeah, yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, going back and seeing some of the stuff, like you mentioned, seeing what went into this, the, like you mentioned the passion, but um, mm-hmm. you know the passion that went into this, the the issues it had to overcome, um, all that stuff. For anything, like I mentioned before, that it doesn't really, some of it doesn't uh, age well. But even for that stuff, going back and learning about you know, actually what went into to making that stuff happen, I think brings yeah. me to a, just a new level of appreciation for it. So, you know, kind for of sure. makes it um, way more interesting to see on screen now, just to see, you mm-hmm. know, what had to happen to make that, to make that all, you know, end up the way it is. Yeah. And I still think there's times, and this is especially true with like the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but even with the New Hope, I think there's times that I, I look at the images on the screen. And I'm like, wow, this looks better than st- some of the stuff that's in the prequels, even, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm, I'm surprised. I'm like, wow, this was made in, you know, 1976, came out in 1977. And, and some of these shots, they, they look really good still. 
Um, and, and so just kind of for the most part, it still stands the test of time. And like I said, even more so in, in Empire and, and Return of the Jedi, um, you know, there are those scenes here and there that, like you said, you know, didn't age quite as well. But overall, I think it's still still an impressive looking film so many years yeah, later. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Are you ready to wrap up episode 40? Let's do it. I'm just glad you're here at the end. Thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate seeing everyone here hanging out in chat, listening uh, on a podcast later. Uh, we, we've Our audience has just been growing. It's been so much fun to see that happen. Um, mm-hmm. Live chats on YouTube have been so much fun lately. So thank you, everyone, for being a part of that. It wouldn't be nearly as fun without all of you here. Um, Absolutely. So thanks today for everyone that we saw on YouTube, which would have been uh, Roar Farm Boy, Mr. Rez, Bader's Girl, uh, Michael from 2Med2, Alberto from Radio Rebellion, Dale Erdman, Cam Ray, Stephen Miller. I think that covered everybody. Uh, Like I always say, if I missed you, I didn't intend to. I'm very sorry, but... Always glad to have you here. Um, remember, too, is if you're listening live, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're using one that le- lets you leave a review, uh, we would appreciate that. It uh, doesn't have to be five stars. I would love to be, for it to be five stars. But if there's anything you'd like to see us do better, change up, if there's things that you like uh, more than others, let us know. You know, that helps us tailor our content so that it can be best, uh, you know, for your entertainment. So yes, check constructive out, criticism is welcomed. Yep. Uh, check out the website from a certain point of view.com. Uh, there you'll have some, see some blog articles. You can uh, contact us, send us questions, show topics, anything you can think of. Our socials, Twitter is at certain POV pod. Facebook page is from a certain point of view. Discord server link is in the show notes and it's also on the website. Our email is certainpovpod at gmail.com and we are hosted by anchor.fm where you can leave us a 60 second voicemail. If you have any comments on the uh, making of A New Hope or any of our past episodes, feel free to leave a voicemail. We'd love to play it on the show. Remember, we are part of the Red 5 Network. You can visit red5network.com for all the amazing podcasts there on the Red 5 Network. There's some great podcasts uh, you can find hours of entertainment there every week to fill uh, all of your Star Wars needs and more. Uh, so check that out. Remember, I am on uh, Twitter. is the best place to find me, uh, at thegauze 85 I uh, also want to mention I'll be hanging out tonight and later tonight with uh, the Force Losers podcast. We're talking some Power Rangers on uh, Force Losers. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Josh, where can everyone else find you? You can find me on Twitter at JediJarJar1722 or occasionally writing articles for StarWarsNewsNet.com. And once again, I just want to echo what Adam said and and thank you all so much for joining us today, either live or later. And again, we we truly appreciate it. And do remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well so you can watch the videos. We have 55 Um, subscribers. I'd love to get to 100 so we can get rid of that ugly looking I'd love to see that climb. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
but yeah, keep keep an eye out this week for our weekly poll and to our our Twitter feed as well. Um, and just remember that everything we said today was true. From a certain point of view. <laughs>